family and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. No dancing over there. For a week. This is Tim and Friends for Tuesday, February 22nd, 2022. That's 2-22-22. Jesse, are you superstitious at all or like me, just a little stitious? Ooh, ooh, ooh. No. Not I'm superstitious. Not. not even a little stitious. Nothing. No. Zero. No. Do you this... say no hitter at baseball games? Do I you won't... say shutout as a goaltender, formerly of the GTHL? In the greater Toronto Those area. Are good ones. I didn't think about that. But um, no, I don't do it because it's like a social faux pas to do it. Not because I'm personally superstitious. I don't want to offend people that might be I don't believe in the that. broadcaster's jinx. Like, I think that's a, a boatload of bleep. One of the dumbest things ever. Completely and utterly. Yeah. Like, the you kickers? could affect are you the game. Me? Yeah, the, 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 the football, okay, it, it, they're talking about how Justin Tucker hasn't missed. He's going to miss. Now, like, come on. They're responding to idiots on what Twitter by doing that. Yeah, I don't understand. I never understood that one. Meanwhile, reach out at Tim and Friends <laughs> on Twitter and Instagram. I will say 2-22-22 seems like good luck for this show. We've got a pair mm. of gold medal winners. English <laughs> forefar Nick Caprios, Ken Rosenthal all lined up on this show. And don't worry, we're not going to hit Rosie with the how did the talks go today questions. I won that fight yesterday thanks to you. The friends of the show. For those who weren't with us yesterday, Jesse and I asked on Twitter, do you want daily updates on good or bad days in contract negotiations between the Major League Baseball Players Association and the MLB? Or just let us know when it's all over. 63% of you agreed. Nice. And the friends have a say. Always have. Always will. No, just tell us when it's done. So in the end, what we'll do, Jesse, is we'll hit Rosie with questions on when the hell this thing is going mm -hmm. to be over, what the hell the billionaires and millionaires, and let's be fair, thousandaires are fighting over. Everyone says it's millionaires and billionaires Good fighting, point. but a lot of the minor league players are in on this conversation, and there's guys who will play three years in this league and never even come close to a million dollar salary. So it's not just millionaires and billionaires bickering. We'll go through all that with Ken Rosenthal coming up. Next two hours of what we hope is edutainment. Plus, I'll tell you why I think Aaron Rodgers is a thirst trap, which apparently is almost as controversial as this Family Feud answer. Name something you like your girlfriend to do to your face. I'm gonna say sit on it. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> the hell that ain't number one <laughs> Steve Harvey's reaction what to did he say <laughs> yes <laughs> what oh, it's too good <laughs> I love Steve Harvey I said almost as controversial but yeah. it was fourth on the board wasn't the number one answer it was number four on the board anywho jam-packed show full of whole grain goodness I mean besides what we just saw so let's move on a little quickly but first things first what's next Mookie Betts. Ooh, Mookie Betts. Good player. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite things to do is just turn on like YouTube and watch Family Feud funniest answers. Like if you're looking to kill time, just throw it up and yeah. like there's some there's some compilations over the yes. years. Yes. 
like and different family feuds in different countries in different languages very good answers all along but i do believe like steve harvey's edition of the family feud yes. has really leaned into questions like the one that you just heard <laughs> Looking for responses yeah. like the one that you just heard. 100% agree. Yeah. <laughs> 100% agree. Okay, let's begin first things first with the uh, Red Hot Calgary Flames, who took down the Jets yesterday. Elias Lindholm scored the game winner with 47 seconds left, extending his goal streak to a whopping eight games. Meanwhile, Calgary's winning streak is up to 10 games. I don't know which one's more impressive, honestly. They own a four-point cushion over Vegas for first place in the Pacific. But don't tell that to Daryl Sutter. <laughs> Cushion is a pillow with feathers, right? <laughs> Every game you lose, take a few feathers out. Pretty soon you just cut your head on a no cushion at all. No cushion at no all. No cushion at all. He is right about the cushion with the feathers, but uh, are the Flames legit cup contenders despite what Daryl Sutter <sighs> Okay, this, it's, not, it's not your fault that you asked this question. Mm. I know the question was discussed before the show, mm -hmm. and this is what the agreed-upon question was, but have we not learned? Like, have we not learned? From the, one, the one, and I love you, it's not you. Okay. I'm going to give you a hug. It's okay. not your fault, Jesse. Soon we're going to have to actually hug. It's, it's not your fault. Yeah. It's not your fault. What's the answer? I feel like I'm Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. Did we not learn? And here's great movie. Uh, what we do on this show is unlike many others, we love all sports. The thing, and don't tell Elliot Friedman this, but the thing that I respect about Friedge so much is that he's not so narrow-minded that he can't learn from sports outside of hockey. And I believe that hockey fans specifically have a problem sometimes because they only watch their team and they only watch one sport. But you and I went through a roller coaster of emotions over 19 games with the Kansas City Chiefs this year. Yeah. And did we not learn that sometimes in sports, Teams will go on ridiculous 10-game runs. They'll go on terrible 10-game runs. Sometimes those reach out to 20 games. See the Edmonton Oilers. Mm -hmm. But the whole point of the regular season is to attempt to take a full snapshot of what is going on and then come up with a conclusion at the end of this. The Calgary Flames are better suited for playoff play than they have been for a long time. I think we've seen that over the last little while. But I read you a quote yesterday mm -hmm. from Daryl Sutter trying to keep the boys on their toes. After the 10th straight win, he did the exact same thing with the cushion response about trying to keep the boys on their toes. Like, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And I know that in this business, if there's a 10-game run by anyone, the question is, are they legitimate contenders? And my answer to that is, Look at these numbers over the season and then tell me if you think that they are legitimate contenders. Mm -hmm. And I would say yes. I would say that their power play needs to get a little bit better. But as we've seen, when their hot players get hot, they are pretty damn good. But as we've seen from the Toronto Maple Leafs in the past, like the regular season means nothing. Yeah. Show it to me when it counts. And I'm not sure that this 10-game stretch can tell me enough about the Calgary Flames for me to properly answer the question. That you well, asked. I think it's a very good point that you bring up the fact that they, they have been relatively consistent. This is sort of an anomaly over the course of the season. Ten games is 
obviously an anomaly well, I mean, for most teams. They got hit teams. by injuries. They got hit and by COVID. COVID yes. And it was kind of sort of ugly. And so that's at the same time, like when, when that break happened, that was the team everyone was going, oh, the Flames are done. Yeah. It's over. Right? And yep. then here we are. So let's not play that game. So you mentioned the playoffs and show me when it counts. Um, we make a, a very big deal when it comes to the Maple Leafs about their inability to get past the first round. But this is a Calgary Flames team with a, a core who has been to the playoffs before and they haven't performed either. So how much... They've never d- had Jacob Markstrom. They've never had Jacob Markstrom. But how much of Daryl Sutter's approach... Do you think that's just Daryl Sutter? It's like, okay, we haven't accomplished anything yet. Like you're saying... Yes. L- like, we have to get it done in the playoffs for people to actually take us seriously. Well, he, he said, like, let's get to the playoffs. Yeah. That was his answer to the question before he got to the cushion part. Mm-hmm. Was like, we're just trying to get to the playoffs. Because he knows. And he's been there and he's done that. And he's not going to judge the 10-game sample sizes of an 82-game season. I get as a fan why you would, because you're getting excited about your team. And if you're in Calgary, you have a right to be excited about your team. Or if you're a Flames fan, you have a right to be excited about your team. But it doesn't mean that we have to immediately have this, are they legitimate contenders? We'll see. Right now, they look good. But when you haven't done it in the playoffs before... Questions. Yeah, there are question marks to be... But I, I do think that the way they play the way their stars are playing right now, and the goaltender definitely gives them a good shot. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, speaking of the postseason, there was a playoff rematch last night oh between the God. Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs. And uh, don't look now, but the Habs are going streaking. Montreal earned their third straight win as they handled the Leafs uh, pretty easily 5-2 last night. Toronto was allowed 11 goals over the last two games. So there's a lot to dissect here, but what's the bigger story for you? The Habs winning three in a row, longest of the year, or the Leafs' loss yet again? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> Let me go. see this. Likes that one. Yeah, I do like that one. <laughs> The Habs winning doesn't trouble me because I don't think they're going to make this sprint to the postseason. Like... I know that there are a bunch of Habs fans who just want them to finish last, but that does, there's a lottery. It doesn't guarantee you anything. Ask the Buffalo Sabres, mm-hmm. right? Like, bottomed out and still didn't get the first overall pick when it mattered most. So that doesn't guarantee you anything. What I'm seeing under Martin St. Louis would make me more excited as a Habs fan right now in this tiny snapshot than anything else that I would be worried about moving forward. Of course you want that first overall pick, but nothing is guaranteed. It's not like football where if you finish last, you are guaranteed that first overall pick. You go into a lottery. So for me, getting Cole Caulfield's confidence back, tough to say, getting Cole Caulfield's confidence back is absolutely vital to whatever you're going to do moving forward. Having Jeff Petrie play well so that you can trade him because he's not tradable right now, is very important to what you're doing moving forward. And I know that's a low-key shot at Jeff Petrie, but hey, so it goes. Someone was going through the motions for most of this year and then decided, I don't know how or why, but I better start playing here, otherwise I'm going to be stuck here for a while. Like, there are a lot of things that the Habs need to be worried about, but I don't think a three-game winning streak hurts their chances at the first overall pick. And I'd love to see what I'm seeing from the team under Marty St. Louis. Yeah, I mean, it's the individual growth that matters, right? Because as a, as a team, like, momentum doesn't carry over season to season. But 
to your point, if Cole Caulfield and Petrie and these guys are playing better, then that may be able to carry over to next season. Let me follow up with a question. Yes. Are you worried about the Toronto Maple Leafs yet? Uh, no. Not, you're not worried about the Leafs' defensive <clears throat> woes that you and I have talked about dating back to blown leads, what, before Christmas? Literally. Literally. No, I, I'm, not, I'm not concerned. I will say that that was the most um, alarming loss that I've seen. But this team is still on a trajectory to break franchise records for points and wins in a season. They had their backup goalie in last night. They gave up six with their and starting goalie I, I on Saturday night did. against the St. Louis Blues. They did. Five but I, against the goalie. But I feel like better. we're in this spot with the Leafs. <laughs> Powering through any of my points. You're as right. No, you're right. You're right. You, you, and you vocalize your points. <laughs> yeah. um, but I feel like we're in this spot with the Leafs where if they win, it's we don't have to worry about it until the playoffs because they haven't proven anything yet. But when they lose, it's like they're not allowed to lose. They're not allowed to have a slump like any other team goes through. They can't have slumps because we expect more from them. So I just think they're in a very difficult, precarious spot. And granted, it's they deserve it because based on what's happened in the playoffs in years past, but I don't think it's necessarily fair. I think objectively we have to look at the team itself. And yes, every team in the league is flawed. They do have significant defensive issues, especially if Muzzin's going to be at the lineup now. But I still think they're a very good hockey club, and I'm not ready to push a panic button because they lost to the Habs last night. Uh-oh. So, so you're not worried. Let's check in with uh, Leafs superfan Steve Dangle, friend of the show. Uh, as you can do, Steve Dangle on YouTube, LFR uh, 15, game 49, wake up. Let's see, let's see if Steve Dangle is taking it as well as you are. James Myrtle, quoting Sheldon Keefe, sometimes you need this type of a game for a wake-up. Obviously, he looks at it the same way as you. <laughs> just, just, just a wee bit differently. But, like, uh, he, he goes with He's a roller coaster. He goes with the ups and downs of the team, and, and that's understandable. No, that's what he's always done. no, that's not what he's been doing this year. <laughs> I know that's what he normally does, but this year, and I've pointed this out to yeah. you before, he's worried about the defense core. Right. He is worried about the team's ability to stop other teams from scoring goals when it matters. And I'm not gonna. I'm not sitting here telling you that they're not going to win a series. What I'm sitting here and telling you is, I'm not sure the defense core is good enough for them to make a sustained run. And listen, I love Dangle. I love Leafs Nation or whatever the hell it is. But That's there's right. a loser's mentality there. Yeah. If you win four games in the postseason, they are going to be happy. That's not the way you. That's not the way you do things. If you're a franchise that considers themselves like we were talking about yesterday with Eric Engels about the Habs, if you consider yourself one of the, the cornerstone franchise, the New York Yankees, the Los Angeles Dodgers, of the National Hockey League, you're not looking to win four games. No, it's, it's it is sad. 
It is actually It's a sad. loser's mentality, yeah. and I just I don't understand it. So Muzzin and Hall out of the lineup for the Leafs today. This is just breaking. Sandine Labushkin are in. So Ilya Labushkin, a little lube job for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He goes into the lineup tonight, and he'll get a chance over this next little while to see if he can stick. And the only thing, listen, I know you have an update on Muzzin, yeah, and yeah. I want to get yep. to it. I was listening to... Um, 32 thoughts on the way in. I was going to call it 31 thoughts, but it's 32 thoughts. Rebrand. Uh, Frage and Merrick. And that's where I got the lube job idea from. And they were talking about Kyle Dubas not being done. And that maybe Hall could get done. A deal could get done. Mm -hmm. So circle that Hall out of the line. Now listen, back-to-backs, he hasn't exactly been great. There's a bunch of reasons why he could be out of the line. Labushkin's getting in. But... Just keep that in the back of the mind. Maybe there's something going on here with Hall now that he's scratched from the lineup tonight. Yeah, I mean, Leaf fans have been all over Justin Hall, it feels like, for months now. Uh, but you did mention the Muzzin uh, update. Luke Fox reporting that Muzzin is resting in Toronto. Uh, Leafs will be patient with him. Cheldon keeps saying it's positive today in terms of how he's responded. So, uh, obviously, uh, you hope for the best because it was a, a sort of an ugly scene. Last night he had his concussion history this season alone. So, yeah. uh, you hope he gets better. But... Uh, a good time for Ilya Labushkin, the lube job, to uh, to step in the lineup because they need a, a big defender now. So and a red um, shot defender. Yes, exactly. Let's go to the NHL trade deadline, which is just under a month away. Some interesting names being floated out, including Jacob Chikrin, Claude Giroux, Thomas Hurdle, just to name a few. Um, are you intrigued by the coming Remarkably. deadline? Remarkably. Oh. And we're a month away, and here's why I'm intrigued. Here's why I'm remarkably intrigued by the NHL's trade deadline. In fact, Nick Caprio's coming up a little later on. We're going to talk about some of these very things. One of the things is the deadline is so late because of what was supposed to be an Olympic window. And there's basically only a month after that window is done. I think people are going to start to do the... I think we've already seen it. People are going to start to do their business now. Mm -hmm. And I think you might see some trades trickle in. I think the actual deadline, may, oh, look at this. The Tim and Friends Big Barter Board. There it is, kids. We've got something like the rest of everybody else. Jacob Chukran is number one. You know, who, you know what name we don't have on this list that I think we need to have? Let's hear it. On this list? Brock Besser. Interesting. And this is, this is really interesting to me. Here is Frank Saravelli yesterday on Sportsnet Central, I believe with Ivanka Osmak, talking about the NHL trade deadline. Here's Saravelli. As good as Brock Besser is playing, given that he's staring down a $7.5 million qualifying offer, has arbitration rights, and is going to be due likely a significant raise you know, does he have enough dimensions to his game to warrant that next contract? And that's really the big question that the Canucks are considering. Okay, this is why that's so interesting to me. I think the average fan out there, maybe not watching the Vancouver Canucks all the time or paying attention to all the news and notes that you can get from a wonderfully involved media in the lower mainland, might say, what the hell, Brock Besser as a trade chip? But when you look at the $7.5 million qualifying offer, these are now the tough decisions that all of hockey need to make. Look at the Edmonton Oilers. They gave their young stars money. The Toronto Maple Leafs gave their young stars money. The Buffalo Sabres handed Jack Eichel a big check. Uh, Patrick Laine in Winnipeg. 
Like, none of these things have worked out yet. And I think there might be a shift happening right now in the NHL. And I know that there are fans that don't want any accountability. They just want to cheer for their guys. And Brock Besser's got a great flow and he scores goals, so you love him and you don't want to see him move. But these are the kind of tough decisions that front offices are going to have to make moving forward. And I love the fact that they're looking at this and saying, we need to make a decision on Brock Besser at this type of money and whether or not he can really help us get to where we want to be. I think the NHL screwed up by making these decisions at 24 for a guy who played in the NCAA and earlier for others. But look around, man. All of these kids who got the big money early haven't exactly done a lot of winning when it matters most. That's a very, so big decisions coming up for the Vancouver Canucks and, like I said, less than a month away. So the team could look a lot different with JT Miller being up there on the big barter board and Brock Besser, as you mentioned. Now the, big barter board. the big barter board. We're going to ask about because I remember Nick Caprios being like, you pay for what you think you're going to get. Johnny Gaudreau's another one. Got big money, and until this year, didn't really do much yeah. with the big money, right? Like, How many people wanted him out of Calgary? A lot. They, they were lined Everybody. up, and now yeah. they're lined up to re-sign him. Yeah. Right? So I want to ask Kiprios about this situation specifically in the NHL and whether or not this Jim Rutherford, uh, the good-looking Patrick Alvine, this is something moving forward that they may set a precedent on. I see what you did there with Patrick Alvine. I get what, what are you talking about? I get it. I get it. Good looking. Yeah, he's, I get it. He's a good looking fella. Uh, all right. Shifting football. Aaron Rodgers fueled speculation about his future on Instagram by posting cryptic photos and a lengthy caption expressing gratitude towards some of his Packers teammates on Instagram. What do we Many thought we'd get some answers, answers today as he appeared on the Pat McAfee show. Here's what Rodgers had to say. There will be no news today. No decision on, on my future. Uh, as I was texting with you yesterday, I just got out of a 12-day punch of karma. A 12-day punch of karma? Yeah. Uh-huh. He, he's very uh, spiritual. So uh, why is he playing with our emotions like this? Because he knows that we'll react to it. Right. And we just reacted to it. Right. He, he is a thirst trap. He realizes that people will do what we just did. And he absolutely loves the attention. Does everyone know what a thirst trap is? Can you enlighten me? Because I I thought it was something different. Uh, Via Urban Dictionary, thirst trap is a sexy photograph or flirty message posted on social media for the intent, this is from Urban Dictionary, Mm -hmm. for the intent of causing others to publicly profess their attraction. This is done not to actually respond or satisfy any of this attraction, but to feed the poster's ego or need for attention at the expense of time and reputation. Cabral Richards is a good friend of mine. He says very good things about Aaron Rodgers. I'm sorry, Cabby. Sorry, Aaron. You're a thirst trap. (laughs) Stop it. Still to come, Ken Rosenthal on what we need to know from the MLB labor meetings. And could the Jays land Freddie Freeman? Nikki Kiparos on the Leafs and Flames and that trade trade deadline conversation that we just had, plus after the break. It's a gold medal edition of the Tuesday Roundtable. I'm Jack, Natalie Spooner, and Rene Debien, and our friend Ailish Forfar coming up in the Roundtable. Tim and friends. Oh, oh, what? Knock, knock. Who's there? Gold medal in the face. That's who's there. Ten in a row for Calgary. It wasn't easy. But family day.
They knock off the Jets 3-1. The situation I was thrust into and and decided to speak on multiple times, you know, had an effect on a lot of people. And so to those people, I just say I'm sorry. There are suggestions, silly as they may be, that we should do away with the handshake line now. Oh, my God. Have you heard that? Oh, my God, I have. If some team doesn't want to shake hands, you're going to see 15 of my guys walk down. Air and I'm gonna shake air and then we're gonna leave. Still to come on this edition of Tim and Friends Kipper on Brock Besser's future in Vancouver and if Leaf fans need to be worried about their defense. Ken Rosenthal on when the hell we're getting baseball, but it is the second segment on a Tuesday, which can only mean one of two things. One, I finally recite the first verse of Edith Piaf's classic, Non Rien de Rien, or the virtual roundtable has been assembled. Thankfully for everyone involved, it is in fact the latter. It is roundtable time, and it is a special one. You see, it was Mac Miller who once said, knock, knock, let him in. It was Sid Sixero who once said, knock, knock, gold medal in the face. And it's exactly half of this week's Tuesday roundtable that actually captured that gold medal watched by an average of around, I don't know, 3 million people in the middle of the night here in Canada at a former pro hockey player and a talented broadcaster and, well, me, and I think we got ourselves a roundtable. Joining me in studio is that former pro player, Woo! Dartmouth Ryerson, ninth overall pick in the CWHL draft, who just happens to be killing it as the co-host of the Fan Morning Show. It's Ailish Farfar. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's so nice to be invited back. Uh, another veteran of the game here on Tim and Friends, and oh yeah, of winning gold medals at the Olympic Games. She is a two-time world champion, a two-time Olympic champion, and I believe the silver medalist on The Amazing Race. Straight out of the borough of scars, please help me welcome back Natalie Spooner. Hey Tim, knock knock. Who's there? I love it and making her Tim and Friends debut fresh off of her first Olympic gold backstopping Canada with a combined oh just 89 saves in two games against the Americans please help me welcome Anne-Renée Desbiens Anne-Renée thanks so much for doing this Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, I, I, I know you talked to Ailish <laughs> on the morning show from the airport earlier today. Are you actually home yet? Uh, yes, I am home right now. However, I just got back a few hours ago, so still not unpacked, still haven't done anything. Uh, but we'll get there eventually in a few uh, days. All right. Probably. So we got a couple of days. You're allowed to enjoy this for a while before you unpack and all that stuff. But have you been able to process everything? We'll start with Anne-Rene, have you been able to process everything that's happened over the last week? Uh, I don't think I have yet. Uh, my quality of sleep has been pretty low. <laughs> I guess I'm just super excited and still don't believe it. And I uh, can't wait to share it finally in France, people here. So uh, sleep has not been the greatest, but I guess uh, we'll have a few days ahead of us to catch up on that eventually. All right, Spooner, over under, how many hours have you slept since winning gold? Oh. Well, I think I slept about three hours a night, but Anne is the winner for the least amount of sleep. <laughs> oh, yeah? She rallied hard. I don't think she slept at all. 
<laughs> yeah, I definitely don't have a lot of hours of sleep. But okay, I'm still <laughs> planning on going snowmobiling after this, so I stay up for a little longer, try to find the jet lag, but yeah, just oh, nice. fighting it. Snowmobiling is the uh, is the Caesar in uh, in northern <laughs> Quebec. Uh, get rid of your get rid of your hangover by going snowmobiling. Um, what what Spooner? What's just the best thing that you've experienced? And I know it's not your first. But, like, I mean, this one was different. There was no family there. Um, it was a different lead-up. What, what's just the best part of the last week for you? Uh, I think just getting to celebrate with my teammates. Like, this team was probably the closest team I've ever been a part of, and everyone gets along so well. Um, and it probably was because we didn't have families around. We had to overcome COVID. We really had to connect and be each other's family. So, it was that much sweeter winning this gold medal alongside, you know, really 22 of my sisters. Um, and I think just getting to celebrate that, um, you know, all the inside jokes we have, all the dancing, all the singing, whatever it was, like we have a blast with whatever we do. All right, we're going to get into the dancing and the singing, but I got to ask, Kalish, <laughs> um, you know this team and the game as well as probably anyone in our business, though I will shout out Megan Mickelson, who did a wonderful job. What impressed you the most about the way – these guys went about their business. Yeah, I think it's the preparation that came into it too. And, and Spoons touched on it, but they were doing this in a pandemic and centralization is already difficult enough. You have to leave your family, you know, you have to put your career on hold, your family on hold. And to do that and to find a way to actually be united in this victory, I think that's the best thing as a fan of the game and as somebody that knows the girls, like they just came in and handled their business. They set multiple Olympic records while they were there. I think. I, how many goals did they get? Thousands. It felt like every game they're <laughs> outscoring the other teams by like 20. Yeah. And they did it, and they just never let their foot off the pedal. And uh, so, like, as a fan of everybody, and I feel, like, giddy talking to them, even though they're my friends. Like, <laughs> I'm just so proud. So I think it was that resiliency. They came in, and they just took care of business and, and didn't have one doubt that they were going to be victorious. Uh, I won't call you spoons because I don't know you that well, Matt. <laughs> but I, I will ask you this. I, I often talk about how hard it is to know that one game every four years will determine your legacy. And I know you all have to block that out, but how hard is it to focus on making sure, one, you get there, and then, two, you're at your best when you play that game that almost the entire world expects you to be in? Yeah, I think the, the best thing is that this team, we didn't really focus on that one game. We focused on every single game to play like it was that game um, and making sure that we were improving each game so that by the time we got to that game, it was just about playing the same game that we had played the whole year. Um, we talked, our team talked a lot about playing our way um, and the things that made us successful. And it didn't matter who the opponent was then, we were gonna play the same way throughout the whole game. And I think we, we soon figured out that if we stuck to that way, like we were so successful and we were pretty dominant. Um, you, you know, we even, you know, we played a lot of boys teams and. Um, obviously, that was a learning curve, but I, I think we grew a lot through that, too. But uh, I think that we learned that if we played our way, uh, we were you know, going to be dominant out there. And Renee, what did you learn? Like when, when Natalie was talking about that, I saw you kind of sort of agreeing. What, what did you learn through the process? Uh, yeah, definitely to enjoy every day, I guess. Uh, the Olympics are so short when you looked at it. Well, minus the 26 days at the cafeteria, that was, <laughs> didn't look so short. But uh, other than that, uh, flew by. So it's really make sure that you enjoy every single game, that you don't wish time away. 
And I think, yeah, obviously a lot of people do uh, want to see us in gold medal, expect us to be there. But this team really did a good job at celebrating the little wins against each team, having fun. Uh, like I know Spooner talked about the dancing. I'm not a dancer, and they managed to get me to dance. That's pretty amazing. I wouldn't do it for a lot of people, but they managed uh, for me to do that. So very special group. Um, there's a great story about you and Renee by Christina Rutherford on Sportsnet.ca and about how much you went through to get to this point, including taking some time away from hockey. Could you have imagined that returning to the team would go as well as it's gone over the last little while? Uh, I had no expectations. Obviously, if you take 18 months off in a row that you don't see yourself playing again when you come back, <laughs> you definitely don't have a foreign expectation to win a gold medal. Uh, so for me, it was just make the baby step, do what I could do to help this team, this program, and uh, eventually I'm really glad I came back because that's probably the coolest piece of jewelry I'll have to get. That's awesome. Ailish, they, they won't say it, so I'm going to ask you. <laughs> do you think this was the greatest Canadian team of all time? And I know we're splitting hairs of greatness, <laughs> yes. and it's very difficult for me to split hairs of greatness because yes, I, I, have, <laughs> I have none. But this is what we do. Mm -hmm. Do you think this was the greatest Canadian team of all time? Hands down. And yeah. I actually got to ask, because my opinion is a little bit less important, I asked Jennifer Botterill. And she said so herself. And so if she has played on some of the greatest teams and she can agree with me, I think it's just the, the makeup of the team. And if you look at the roster from Pyeongchang to here, you know, not the biggest overturn, but the younger girls came in and they brought so much youth and, and vibrance to this team. And, and they've said it many times, the makeup of this team was what was so special. Statistics aside, which shows that they're, you know, the best team good, ever. Yeah. Um, I think just the, the energy you got from watching the girls, the the – the fortitude to lose a gold medal game, to get yourself back together, to play in a pandemic, to be able to put all that other stuff aside and to come back and win gold, I just, I can't think of a better storyline. Um, and I think it does solidify this as the best, you know, women's team Canada we've ever seen. And, and the game just keeps getting better. So what a great opportunity to, to have this be this kind of pivotal moment for women's hockey. Now, what, what does it mean to you to hear something like that? It's pretty crazy because obviously I grew up watching those girls who I think, you know, are still the best in the world. I mean, I watched Kaylee Wickenheiser and thought, oh, my gosh, I'll never be able to skate as fast as her. I watched Botts, who was one of the best centermen to ever play the game. I thought, I think so. It's, it's pretty crazy hearing it. Um, but, you know, I do look at our team and we had so much offense. And it was offense from, you know, the goalie right up to, you know, their right up to their net. So. Uh, I think that, you know, obviously we had an amazing team and we, we won a gold medal. So it's pretty cool um, that we could even be, you know, considered up there. Okay, I need to ask this question of the group because I have no idea what the answer is. But how the hell does Marie-Philippe Poulain do what she does? <laughs> does anyone have a good answer? for? And I'll just read it. For those who have forgotten, who weren't <laughs> on social media, who don't know, two more in the gold medal game. She has three gold medals. She scored the game winner every single one of those games. She has now scored in every gold medal game that she has played in the Olympics. That's four. She's the first and only player, male or female, to score in four Olympic gold medal games. Um, she's got three golden goals. The numbers are ridiculous. Can any of you raise your hand if you know how the hell she's doing this? Nope. <laughs> oh, oh. She, scores on, she scores on me every day in practice. <laughs> I'm not really surprised by it. But, uh, no, I guess that's probably why she's so good at everything she does, and her practice habits are the same. And she's just the best in the world. There's no doubt about that. I don't think yeah, there's a gender to it either. 
she just dominates and she just gets better the more important the game is so I'm not surprised to seeing her having success on those games uh, when you know her when you see how hard she works it's definitely uh, just you know good things happen to good people and she's definitely one of them one of the things that I got the most pissed off at doing this job was when a writer once told me there's no such thing as clutch. Natalie, can like, can do we just offer Marie Philippe Poulain up as evidence that there is clutch? <laughs> For sure, like it's it's hilarious. Like we almost have to laugh about it now because even you know in our in our rivalry series games it was overtime and she scored I think two games in a row. And we're like, yes. how? We were talking like, about it. Can yeah. you tell us your secrets? <laughs> yeah. Like, like you have to you just laugh about it because it's so crazy. Like, it's just so unheard of. But she is. She's Captain Clutch, and she pulls through in those big moments, and she shines. And I'm just lucky she she plays on our team. <laughs> okay. Uh, before we go to commercial break for the first time, they're going to stick around for one more segment. I'm really excited about that. So, thank you for doing that. But who came up with the pregame warm up slash dance? How did that all come about? And I can already see who the one that was hiding like in the back spooner. was. <laughs> yeah. Was it you, Spooner? No, it wasn't. No. We had um, we we did a lot of uh, like co- through COVID, we had a lot of uh, virtual things, and we had an actual choreographer teach us this dance. <laughs> I could not have come up so with those. So awesome! Moves. Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so who's the person it's, that it's was? It's a professional. Who's the person who was way too into it? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who's the person who was hiding in the back on purpose? That is definitely me. I'm in the far corner of that video. <laughs> the one that you really can't see. I got better at it. Uh, I started to enjoy it, but at first it's way out of my comfort zone. But it was just such a fun thing and special to do as a warm-up. Like, I remember we had some of the men's team just video things, like, videotape us. They're like, what? what is that? Is that a warm-up? Is this a joke? But it was like the funniest thing because we had so much fun doing it. But uh, it's not part of your actual warm up, which is fun to warm up. It's awesome. We're going to do this between the break, right? Yeah, I think, I think we're going to try it out during the break. Uh, we won't <laughs> we film can it teach up. you. We can teach you. I'll, 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 I'll be like Aunt Renee. I'll be in the back uh, hiding <laughs> while we do it. Uh, I want to take the break. But when we come back, I want to figure out how we capture the momentum that we saw yet again. And Spooner, we've had this conversation way too many times, but we'll do it again. How do we turn this into a sustainable pro league? The gold medalist, four far sticking around. The roundtable continues. On Tim and Friends. The round table is comprised of three pro hockey players and me, uh, <laughs> Tim McAuliffe. We've also got gold medal winners Natalie Spooner, Anne Renee Diabien, and Ailish Farfar in studio. Ailish, I'm going to start with you because you were really full. I said to Jesse yesterday that the women's hockey tournament was the marquee event of the Olympics for me. And I was on vacation with my family, but there was still like, I gotta, the women are playing, I gotta tune in here. (laughs) Outside of women's hockey, outside of that marquee, what was the best event for you? Okay, I wanted to say curling, but we blew it. Canada (laughs) sucked. So I was super excited about that, and I don't think I can be a curling fan anymore. I'm gonna go with Big Air, because new event, uh, I think it was like skiing was the first time, and they just like literally fly into the air, and you're like, this is crazy, I would never be able to do this. Um, Not one bone in my body would be interested in that, so I think that was what I was mostly excited to watch. Great debut of it. I don't even know if we won any medals, but it was sweet. Uh, Let me ask you guys, and did you get to go out and watch 
other events like you normally would in the Olympics. Natalie, I'll start with you. What's your favorite event outside of yours? Uh, probably the ice dance. I didn't get to actually go see the ice dance, but I watched um, the pairs figure skating. Uh, and then we also went one day to watch the bobsled. So we went up to the mountain village and um, obviously our, our teammate Blair Turnbull, her fiance is Ryan, right. who's on the bobsled team. So cheering them on was super cool. And Renee? Uh, I went to Big Air, skiing, nice. nice. and uh, that was definitely very, like I always said, it was, you need to be crazy to do that. <laughs> and then I guess you need to be crazy to be a goalie, but you need to be crazier to do that sport. Uh, but just that venue was super cool, like obviously not traditional, but I think that like you'd see them jump, like and everything in the background and land, and I don't know, it's obviously a very fun sport to watch. Uh, so that was definitely my favorite event. Okay, so yesterday I brought up the TV numbers for the gold medal game, and uh, we're still calculating in Canada for some reason. It was the most watched hockey game in the United States this season, period. Uh, It's crazy, and I said yesterday that that should take us to a sustainable women's pro league. Ailish, are we there? I feel like this next couple months is the most pivotal pivotal moments for women's hockey in general, not just Canada and the United States. I think all the attention, we just saw the numbers, millions of people watched. It was the most important moment um, in our country for the Olympics. So clearly the demand is there. I'm sick of people saying, oh, I don't want to watch this, or like, nobody cares. The the proof is there. People care. They really want to watch. Um, This was the most important pride moment for our country. So I think we're close, and I think it's just now it's time to put this kind of stuff into action. Um, I th- feel like the PWHPA has done a lot over the break, over the time where the Olympians were centralized to be able to grow that momentum without the biggest names on the stage as well. So like kudos to them be- to be able to do that without the Olympians on the ice. So I think when we come back and we reassess what's going to happen over the next couple months, I have a really good feeling that there's some momentum um, and that people are really going to want to buy in because you can't wait four years to watch these players play. It's just, it's ridiculous. It's, it's really sad. Um, growing up wanting to be an Olympian I didn't make it, clearly. Um, but I can't wait four years every time to see these incredible girls on the world stage. So I have faith. Nat, I can see you itching to get in here. We've <laughs> talked about this way too much over the years. How, how do we get it to happen? I mean, I think it is using this momentum forward. I just think, you know, if we do want to see more Mary Philippe Poulain's, and there's no, no one can question how amazing she is and that she deserves to be on TV. So if we want to see more of her, we need a pro league that little girls can see us playing every single day or every other day, whatever it is on TV. Because I think back, you know, it was 2002 Olympics. I got to meet Jennifer Botterill after that Olympics and see her gold medal. And had that game, you know, not been on TV and I saw her and I got to meet her, it would have never made a connection for me that I could be like her. Um, And I think there's such a bigger impact that we can make on, on, you know, these little girls and that it's just going to give more, you know, ladies also the opportunity to keep playing and to keep developing because right now, you know, you want to play with the best and against the best. um, But we don't have that place to play. And I'm sure if we get this league, we'll get players from all different countries too, that we've got to play against and that, you know, that's going to make even the Olympic competition better. Um, You know, we're going to get to play with those players on on a daily basis. So I think just overall, it's just making the game, it's going to make the game of women's hockey um, grow at at a much faster rate. 
um, than it is already growing so, I'm glad, so fast. I'm so glad you made that point because I think the high tide lifts all boats mm -hmm. and the other countries will benefit from having women that can play pro hockey and sustain some sort of career. And Renee, I know you were drafted fourth overall in the NWHL draft, but haven't played. Is it because you don't think that that's sustainable? And before you answer, I, I need to give a qualifier for folks at home. If I'm not mistaken, you have a master's degree in accounting, don't you? I do. So right. after 2018, went back to school. Uh, obviously, did not think that I had any viable league to play in. So I was like, I'll learn how to count. Maybe I'll be able to make it work after. <laughs> uh, but hopefully, uh, hopefully nobody has to do that, right? Like, we really hope that with the momentum and what's going on right now that we get to build off of it and we did the PWHPA. So uh, definitely exciting for what's coming next. Uh, and hopefully uh, not too much counting involved in the next few years of my life. <laughs> well, maybe it'll be counting paychecks in a Ooh, pro league that is counting actually shutouts. sustainable. Well, yeah, I, she she ran out of <laughs> fingers to count on, toes to count on at Wisconsin. I'll I don't you think you much. need a master in accountancy to count shutouts. <laughs> you, you did <laughs> in university because I think she, she had the all-time record yep. in shutouts in <laughs> university. Listen, this was a thrill for us to be able to do this, to talk to you guys and have two gold medalists join us and have a real conversation about women's hockey and hopefully in the future we can do it a little bit more but before we let you go Ailish we didn't speak about this before but I think I speak for you when I say before we say goodbye to this roundtable we have one more thing that we have to say this is the ultimate compliment from Tim and friends it is simply the greatest horns that we have ever created. just play them all <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. I had yeah, thanks so much for having us. And uh, hopefully in four years we do another knock-knock. Who's there? <laughs> Gold medal in the face. Uh, Natalie Spooner and Renee Debye, Ailish Forfar, thank you very much. The roundtable has been disassembled. After the break, we'll check in with Nick Kiprios as we discuss the Leafs' recent defensive issues. Ailish, you want to stick around for this? Or do you no, get thanks. <laughs> <laughs> the Flames' 10 straight wins and the juice around the deadline. That's all next on Tim and Friends, a gold medal edition. Time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Thank you very much. Sheepdog's back here. Hour number two on Tim and Friends. Full hour Sportsnet 360, which includes Ken Rosenthal and the latest on what you actually need to know from the MLB negotiations. Only a half hour to go on Sportsnet. Nick Kiprios joins us shortly. Hockey Central comes your way. 6.30 Eastern, followed by the Preds and the Panthers on Sportsnet East, West, and Pacific. Meanwhile, in Ontario, Toronto Maple Leafs get another crack at it. They are facing the Columbus Blue Jackets tonight, looking to right the ship after a bad loss in Montreal last night. Patrick Laine, red hot, 18 points during a nine-game point streak for the Jackets. Is he figuring it out? Jack Campbell returns to the net after Peter Morazic had a tough one in Montreal. Campbell had a tough one against St. Louis, too. Jake Muzzin's injury will force some juggling on the blue line. Ilya Labushkin will make his Maple Leafs debut. Rasmus Sandin will also draw in. Justin Hall will be out. Anything there? And Sheldon Keefe on the status of Muzzin. 
All things considered, he's had a, he's had a good day today. Um, he, he went to the, uh, to the hospital for observation test yesterday uh, after the game and, and then went back to the hotel. He was feeling better today. He's traveled home here today and is resting there. So, you know, he's just going to go through concussion protocols and all that kind of stuff. But uh, we'll be patient with that, of course. Um, but all, all considered, uh, you know, it, it looks it, it's, it's positive today in terms of how he's responded. Again, Nick Kiprios coming up in mere moments from now. But first to soccer. We're less than a month away from Canada's men's soccer team's next World Cup qualifiers. They try and secure their ticket to Qatar officially when they face Costa Rica. Yes, that is available. Jonathan David scored two goals in Canada's last window, and his name continues to be linked with some absolutely massive clubs in Europe, likes of Arsenal, Liverpool, Chelsea, PSG, and Inter Milan, just some of the global powers rumored to be vying for the 22-year-old striker's services. David's still at Lille for now. And in the Champs League spotlight, where he could take that even higher, facing Chelsea at Stamford Bridge earlier today in the round of 16. And unfortunately for Lille and David, oh my God, were Chelsea good in this one. In fact, eight-minute Chelsea corner Kai Havertz will get up for it. And Kai Havertz, starting in place of the struggling Romelu Lukaku, made it 1-0 for the Blues with that deft header. 13th minute, David in some space will try from distance, but he sails it over the bar. Remains 1-0. 63rd minute, Golo, 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 Conte. Gets it to Pulisic, oh. and he scores. So the Canadian can't score. The American scores 2-0 Chelsea. 81st minute, David subs off. His streak of three straight Champions League matches with a goal comes to an end. Chelsea look good. Full marks, 2-0 the final. All right, let's move on. Villarreal and Juventus, newly signed striker uh, Dusan Vlalovic. Val- Vlal- yeah. Anyways, the 22-year-old made an impact early. <laughs> Son of a, you never mind. 32 seconds in, his first Champions League goal. Unbelievable. But in the 66th minute, the response from the yellow submarine that is Villarreal knots it at one apiece. And again, kid, opportunity. This time it's stopped by Geronimo Rui, who makes the save. Juventus Villarreal draw in the first leg, 1-1, the final. All right, so we've gotten through the Champs League. Let's get right on back to hockey. Joining me now is an old friend of ours, Nick Kiprios from The Real Kipper and Born Show, which you can get wherever you get your podcast. Kipper, welcome back to the show. How you doing, my friend? I'm good. So, what is the chant? Golo, Golo? Because I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because it, it, the Greek word for rear end is oh. Golo. <laughs> right. No, that is. It's actually Angolo, but they chant. Yeah. Oh, anyways. okay. All right. Anyway, close enough. It, uh, the second pronunciation though was a pain in the Golo. I'll tell you that yes, much. That's right. <laughs> All right. Listen, I, I, I thought the trade talk around Brock Besser was really interesting to me because it represents an interesting time for 
the good to great young players in the game, okay? Hear me out on this, and this is for the audience too, not just Kipper, but teams have determined really early that the good to great young players are going to get paid. We've seen it with McDavid. We've seen it with Drysaddle. We've seen it with Eichel. We've seen it with the young Leafs, even Patrick Laine, who we were just talking. They all got their money, and yet not one of them have won. And you could argue that their cap hits are part of the reason why they haven't won. Now, understood flat cap will play a factor. But the average fan says, Brock Bester is a good player. Of course you want him. But are we getting to the point where really hard decisions are now going to be made on these players? You could put Johnny Goudreau into that mix if you want. Um, are, are we going to have to make tough decisions on young players in this game like the Canucks have right now with Brock Besser? I, I think so. And, and Jim Rutherford in Vancouver wants to get ahead of, of Brock Besser. And Tim, to, to answer your question, it, it's just a matter of where you see these young players that you speak of in the pecking order. And I like Brock Besser, and I think he's an important part. But when you're starting to spend seven, eight million dollars on players in a flat cap that isn't going up anytime soon, those type of players have to be a lot higher on your depth chart than Besser would be in Vancouver. And I, I like Brock Besser, but how much better is Brock Besser than, say, Tyler Toffoli? And Tyler Toffoli just got traded to uh, Calgary. We know that. It, it cost a first-rounder. Uh, we know that. But Calgary also knows that Tyler Toffoli comes in for the next two years at $4.25 million. Right. Besser's at another place. For Jim Rutherford to believe that he wants to keep Brock Besser you got to start with a qualifying offer that's in the ballpark of $7.5 million. Now, is Brock Besser $3 million better than Tyler Toffoli? And where do you see him as one of your core guys? And I don't think that uh, Jimmy Rutherford wants to go down that path and start conversations for Brock Besser on a long-term deal. He's two years away from unrestricted, unrestricted free agency. If someone's going to go spend seven or eight million dollars on a five or six year deal for Brock Besser I don't think it's going to be Jimmy in Vancouver he, he's going to want to get ahead of this and make the decision that he wants to move on from spending that money let somebody else go out there and spend seven and a half eight million a year on Brock Besser like a New Jersey like a Buffalo but I don't think it's going to be in Vancouver do you think this is specific to Besser or if we were going around the horn again on guys like Marner and Matthews and McDavid and Drysaddle, do you think there might have been a little bit less of the salary? I mean, both those teams have struggled to surround those guys. They have, but that's also because they've made other mistakes that's really uh, uh, magnified how much money their star players are making. And if they've would have made better decisions. Maybe it might have not been that big of an issue. And let's not forget that Edmonton decided to give Connor McDavid over 13 million, and actually Connor pulled back, I think, 500 or 750 a year just to kind of protect himself with more talent. And it backfired on him all these years later. It didn't improve anything. All they did was make bigger mistakes with the money that Connor gave them. So there's no guarantees 
And I don't. I, I think the best players will still want their money. Nathan McKinnon is coming up. Yeah. Do you think he's thinking about the extra money if he wants to win Stanley Cups? Because I, I think that number starts at thirteen million dollars, and it's not under the impression of I want to give less to to protect myself around me. I think these players are going to sit there and go, "I'm going to give you the. I'm going to give you money back." And you're going to piss it away anyway, so I might as well keep it myself. <laughs> yeah, but, th- I mean, let's be honest here, though, Kipper. Those those double-digit uh, cap hits in the NHL aren't winning. They haven't won. And that that's the balance moving forward that I, I'm going to be keeping an eye yeah. on because I don't know that know. we can do it that way. And I don't, I don't expect guys to give money back. I don't. But Jim, they're not winning. We, we had we when we were fighting to keep a salary cap away, we were taught we were having this conversation Bingo. in nineteen in the mid nineties. And this is what can happen. You you can negotiate against yourself. They're gonna pin you yeah. and your salary and your ability to max out uh dollars uh because you wanna look like a good team guy. Right. And I think there's Ridiculous. guys out there. I think there's guys out there that have done that in the past and gotten burned, and now the now they're going to sit there and go, you know what? No, I'm just going to get whatever I can, and it's your issue. You're the general manager. Yeah, You're the one that's that's got to figure this out. Don't come to me. Is there any chance? And listen, I know you got ties with the PA, and you know them pretty. Is there any chance that we get a luxury tax? Like, is, is, I I honestly I think hope that so. it, I think that it would benefit the NHL. Like, I think, I know that Gary Bettman would laugh at this suggestion, but I think it would benefit the NHL if you could draft your guys and be able to keep them and grow them. I think that's good for the league. Some sort of bird rights that they have in the NBA, some sort of luxury tax, because this isn't working. And I've had this fight with Brian Burke. It's not, he disagrees with me completely. Well, he's a Gary guy, that's why. So uh, that's understood, and I've been known to be a player's guy, and that's understood. So right. it's all good, but I, I agree with you. It's There's warts all over this CBA, but what it does is it guarantees that the owners will take 50%, and anything over, the players will owe us on escrow. I don't know if they want to go back and revisit it. Have you taken a look at the white, the waiver wire and watch the guys yeah, get bounced around like a pinball. Those are real people with real families, wives, children, in school. I, guys that are getting claimed off a waiver and being told, don't move. Yeah. Don't move because we don't know where you're going to be next week or the week after. And dead money on caps, whereas teams are supposed to spend X amount but aren't. Uh, in real dollars Uh, it's it's flawed beyond belief I I think at times it's made the NHL look like Bush League and I'm with you they should revisit that will they I don't think so all right let's uh let's talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs we're back in action tonight after uh what was a pretty tough loss in Montreal as the Habs won their third straight and Look pretty damn good against that Leaf team. Jesse and I have been having this conversation basically the entire year. Are you worried about the Leafs' defense core? <laughs> uh, it's been an ongoing issue on uh, the real Kipper and Bourne show. <laughs> yeah. That blue line. And, you know, before you saw Jake Muzzin go down, you were asking yourself, how much more do they have to improve on this this blue line? And our, our, our sixth and seventh defensemen, like uh, uh, Labushkin, who will go into the lineup tonight enough? Or do you have to sit there and go 
as good as Kyle Dubas has been playing money ball uh, with, with low-value contracts and getting upside, uh, he is now in a position where uh, Justin Hall isn't a legitimate top four defenseman anymore. Do you have, did you have to go and replace Hall's minutes, even if Jake Muzzin was healthy? Right. So uh, that's, that's something now they're going to have to weigh in. How long is Jake Muzzin out? We got good news today that he's out and he's feeling better. But does that mean he'll be back in three weeks, a month, six weeks, a lot of speculation out there, Tim, that they should just shut him down for the regular season so they can use the cap money to go out there and get another legitimate guy. But I argued all day long today that uh, that's uh, that's not an easy ask to, for a player to uh, wave the white flag on his regular season and just wait in the playoffs. If Jake Muzzin feels good in a month from now, two months from now, uh, he wants to play when he's ready, not when he's told uh, he can't. And that's like that's a lot to ask of a guy who's going to play over 20 minutes in a first-round series that basically decides whether or not your season was a success. Imagine now Jake Muzzin not playing for two and a half months yeah. and asking to step in and, and, and pick up on the intensity in game one and two. It, and what do you do now? Uh, Against Florida or Tampa. He's not Kucherov. Yeah. He's not even Mark Stone. He's got to play. And he's got a timing issue. He's one of the best open ice checkers the Leafs have had the last three or four years. You're going to ask him now to sit out the last 35 games of the season and step in like he hasn't missed a, a beat? Uh-uh. It's not that easy here. So Kyle's got some tough decisions to make moving forward. And uh, how much does he want to give up? A first rounder, Nick Robertson, a couple of prospects. Uh, those are, I imagine Kyle Dubas didn't get much sleep last night. The, uh, the deadline is in an interesting spot this year, and I thought that maybe because it was pushed back that we might see more action over the next little while. What are you hearing, Kipper? Are, are you hearing that people are starting to do their work now? I mean, we've already seen people start to do it. But are the phones starting to work the way they would normally maybe a yeah. week before the deadline? I think so. Yeah. But we still got teams that are sitting on the fence like a Dallas, Klingberg. You know, the other name that I hear is getting a ton of interest is Joe Pavelski, you know, 37 years old, and he's still this proven playoff guy. And while we hear rumblings that uh, Claude Giroux uh, would only pick Colorado to go to, right. you know, maybe Colorado has some interest in Pavelski if they're willing to, to trade him, but they're in the thick of things. It's still, believe it or not, uh, still a little early here. We're going to need another 10 days, maybe 14, to see which way certain teams go and and where the market price is. That's another thing, too. Tend to overpay. Uh, and then, actually, as you get closer to March 21st, prices dropped. Where you could have thought you could have got a first rounder ends up being a second rounder and a fourth, a third and a fourth. Prices do drop, and I think teams have to weigh in on that, especially uh, March 21st. All right, I know you and you and Borny talked to Bill Armstrong yesterday. Uh, the number one name on everyone's board right now is Jacob Chikrin. How come it hasn't happened? Expensive. Yeah. Very expensive, and uh, two, three pieces, including uh, first-rounders, prospects, uh, possibly a, a rostered player. They value that contract as one of the best that's ever been av uh, available, hmm. whereas you get four cracks at Jake Chikrin 
at what, $4.6 million when easily, if he was a free agent, he'd, he'd cost you nine to, to re-sign. So they value his contract amongst one of the best available ever in, in, in recent memory or history, and they want to max out on that. They tell people that they're willing to wait and trade him with three years remaining on that contract in the summer, uh, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see in the next few weeks if it heats up. Do you have any favorites there on who might be able, who might be in that line? Oh, I think uh, there's a few desperate teams. Boston yeah. is desperate right. to bring in some help. Uh, they still want to take their last crack at uh, getting to a conference final or Stanley Cup final. Patrice Bergeron, everybody's under the impression that uh, something's going on with the fact that he doesn't even want to think about an extension. So this could be his last hurrah. And, uh, you know, Boston, I think, is in a position where they're, they're going to have to do something. Chikrin makes sense for them. But, again, do they have the pieces to Get appease? To get it done. Uh, never have, never will pull any punches. And I love it, Kipper, unless I'm on the other end of those punches. Thank you very much for doing it. Cheers. Uh, there is <laughs> a little, <laughs> little, little Buddha for Nick Kiprios as he says goodbye. I guess his work day is done. So good. Or, or perhaps just getting started. Time for a break. We'll continue to tee up the Leafs and the Jackets, which is coming up on Sportsnet Ontario. Plus, get some of your feedback, and we'll do it all next right here on a gold medal edition of Tim and Friends. And we're back. Toronto Maple Leafs looking to bounce back from that ugly loss in Montreal last night. There was no winking going on last night, I'll tell you that much. They faced the Jackets in Columbus. See it in Sportsnet Ontario. 7 p.m. Eastern Hockey Central coming up mere moments from now. 6.30 Eastern to tee it all up. Ilya Labushkin, the Leafs get their lube job set to make his Maple Leafs debut. Sheldon Keefe says the 27-year-old is ready to make an impact. He's a competitive guy. Uh, you know, there was no question in his mind that he was going to be ready to and wanted to play today. You know, he's we, with these kind of situations where you got guys that come in, especially those that are flying from three time zones away and have never met their teammates and haven't practiced and he hasn't skated in two days. You know, you're going to kind of feel him through it uh, in terms of whether he wants to play today or is, or is ready to play today. But there was no doubt in his mind that he wanted to get right in. So that speaks to his character to me. Um, so he's got seems like a pretty easygoing guy and, and good personality. So I think he'll fit in well. The Leafs are praying that he fits in well. I will say this, though. Like mm-hmm. Kyle Dubas getting something back significant for Nick Ritchie is, I know they added some pot sweetener to that, but it's like 2025 when that second round pick comes through. I thought that was a pretty good deal for something that didn't work out for them. I love when when general managers make the, make the moves and send the pick from like years away when they might not even be there. It's like let's mortgage the future to just help out the, like the job that I did earlier. But yeah, that's exactly what they needed, and they do have a little bit of flexibility here. And I want to get your your opinion quickly on like. So Muzzin, if he's hurt for a significant amount of time, hoping he's not, obviously, but do they think about putting him on the LTIR and then that sort of frees up more money that I mean, they can use? That's what we talked about with Kipper is the fine balance between this is a player that you absolutely positively need in that first round series, which could come against either the Tampa Bay Lightning or the Florida Panthers. Yeah. 
Bye. And to ask him to hit at full speed for what is like maybe the most important first round series in the history of the Toronto Maple Leafs, which is saying a hell of a lot, yeah. I know, is kind of sort of unfair. Yes, can you use the money? Does it make some logical sense? Yes. But to ask Muzzin, who basically is, and I don't know what Labushkin's going to turn into for the Toronto Maple Leafs, but is the absolute epitome of what you need on your blue line to ask him to jump in at full speed after what'll be a couple months off and missing 30-something games? Like, that, come on. Like, that's asking a lot of a player just so that you can make a move to bring someone else in. Yeah, and he hasn't looked... it won't looked, be fair. No, no, it's not fair. And, and he hasn't looked the same since coming back from his previous concussion anyway. He hasn't been up to that standard right. that he established so earlier. So if he said to me, if he said to you, listen, I've had too many of these concussions, I'd love to sit out the 30 games yeah. and see where we're at, I'm all for it. The other thing is you, you can bring him back for one game and have someone else go on to... LTIR for two games or three games. Listen, the NHL opened (laughs) all these doors, and when Kucherov was allowed to do what Kucherov did last year, doors open. Yeah. Don't like no one in Montreal, Sebi can attest to this, is going to feel bad when they, when another team uses the LTIR for these nefarious purposes. Give them a luxury tax. This is ridiculous. I know they never will, so I'll shut up. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Do you want to get to um, a couple? feedbacks from a bunch of things that we talked about. First, we talked about the Leafs. Uh, there are a couple of responses to our conversation earlier and the one you talked about oh, okay. with Kipper that. and then with us now. Uh, Amanda says, uh, Toronto Maple Leafs have needed goaltending and defense since 1968. Uh, Michael says, uh, Muzzin and Hull have to go. They are the weakest link. And, and this has been a trend over the last number of, of months with Leaf fans. That, that pairing has been... Yeah, that's easy to say. Yes. It's- uh, listen, Muzzin is what you guys need. So I don't know what Leafs Nation is talking about when it comes to Muzzin. I literally have no idea. Like, I know he's slow to step, but he's the only one with any physicality on that blue line. So I don't know what the hell you're talking it's about. It's what they've needed for years, like a decade probably. Uh, and then shifting over to uh, the Canadian segment, the Canadian gold medalist segment. Uh, Rachel says both the Canadian women's soccer and women's hockey teams are the Olympic gold medalists, yet neither country has a legitimate sustainable league for which these Olympians can play in. Absolutely ridiculous. Pay these women. Let's go. And this adds to that conversation. I, I, I agree with it completely, but it has to make business sense, and I think we're starting to show that there is some business sense behind this because we know cash rules everything around us. Yeah. Well, that's all I got uh, for you for now, but we'll have more later. Uh-huh. I, I appreciate that. We'll have more after Ken Rosenthal. Yes. We'll have more in Last Call. So maybe join us on Sportsnet 360. Here's what's happening. Time to set it on Sportsnet, uh, Hockey Central on Sportsnet. David Amber, Justin Bourne, Elliot Friedman standing by. The big boys are in for the Leafs and the Jackets on Sportsnet. Well, it'll be the Preds and the Panthers on the other Sportsnet regional channels. As for us, like I said, we'll continue on Sportsnet 360. Ken Rosenthal stops by with the latest and greatest on the MLB Labor Talks back in 60 seconds on Sportsnet 360. It's Tim and Chris. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. It is an absolutely massive week for Major League Baseball as they try and walk their way to some sort of labor peace that will give us uh, 
this thing called baseball uh, <laughs> for a season that is much anticipated, especially around these parts. So we decided to go to a senior writer for The Athletic. Uh, the MLB on Fox are places you might know him or just as simply one of the absolute best in the business. Ken Rosenthal joins me now from his home. Ken, thanks for doing this. Always appreciate your time. Tim, how you doing, man? I'm doing very well. We actually had a conversation on yesterday's show, Ken, about whether or not our audience wanted the ins and outs of the MLB negotiations with the Players Association and whether or not they wanted to hear about good days and bad days. And 63% of the respondents said, just tell us when it's over. So I don't want to walk this tiny tightrope of whether or not we had a good day yesterday or a bad day today. Where are we on the entirety of all this, Ken? First of all, I appreciate the audience intelligence. <laughs> They are in the proper mindset. They should not want to get ins and outs until it's over, even though it's my job and the job of others to report on that. And the developments are significant no matter which way they turn. But basically, we know that February 28th on Monday is essentially what the owners have described as the drop-dead date for the season to start on time. So that's the quasi-deadline we're dealing with here. That's six days away. So in the last two days, if you want to get into the nitty-gritty a little bit, both sides have moved very, very incrementally. So small their movements, their steps forward. But they have moved, they have talked. And again, because that deadline, the quasi-deadline, is six days away still, I don't expect much serious movement for several days yet. When you say quasi, and you said it twice, uh, do you not believe that February 28th is actually what the drop-dead date would be? No, I do believe that is the drop-dead date. It could extend to, I don't know, March 1st or 2nd, right. and it would be right. They could probably still get the season going on time. One of the reasons I say quasi-deadline, it's only a deadline for the season to start on time. It's not a deadline to have the season. And, yeah, we can miss games. There's no doubt about that. But for all we know, and I'm just talking theoretically here so people understand, not because I think this is going to happen. They could negotiate until April 15th and still have a season. It would be a shorter season. But the deadline for actually playing the season, it's somewhat way down the line in the future. Where is the urgency on this, especially given the last couple of years? Because from the outside looking in as I am, Ken, like I can't imagine that any of these owners and or players would want to lose games given what we've been through over the last couple of years. I agree, Tim, and from the outside and from every fan's perspective, I'm sure they would agree as well. I'm not so sure that parties agree <laughs> in that sense. And the reasons are these. To both parties, this agreement, the details in this agreement, might be more important than actually playing 162 this year. And that makes no sense to me, okay? It is illogical because if you don't play 162 when – in my opinion, there is no reason not to. You're going to have a lot of angry people with the sport. And this sport already is having issues with its popularity, especially when compared to the NFL in the United States and, of course, Canada and even the NBA. So I don't believe they can afford to mess with their fans any longer and have that kind of situation occur again. But I'm not so sure the parties don't see this as a bigger fight and a fight that is worth conducting even if games are missed. 
You know, it's funny when you say that, like, it does make sense. The details can be more important than 162 games for the parties involved. But what the delicate balance is here, Ken, and I'm sure you know this, is that fans don't give a bleep. Like, the yep. lawyers will tell you that the details may be more important, and there could be a case to be made that the details are more important, that you'll make back the money that you would lose and say, I don't know, 15 games being erased from the overall total. But the health of this sport moving forward, to me, feels like it's it's very valuable to get 162 games in here. I totally agree with you, and my opinion, there is a real risk if you miss a single day this year. There is a risk that is unlike the risk that was in 94-95 when the entertainment options were not as vast when you were not in the middle of a pandemic that people are just kind of tired of and in a bad mood because of, and all of these dynamics that are in play now, you look at Netflix and Hulu and all the different things you can do, all the different sports that you can watch. There are women's basketball leagues and soccer leagues. There are a greater number of options here. You want to mess with that? Be my guest. In my opinion, it's incredibly short-sighted. It's tunnel vision to the max, and it's messing with the future health of the sport. Uh, me, Bo Wolf, and Dave Cricks were watching Wiffle Ball on TikTok yesterday, I swear to God, and it was relatively entertaining. <laughs> it was relatively entertaining. So let me ask you this. Obviously, there are some bones of contention on each side. Let me start with the owners. What to you is the biggest sticking point for the owners that if the layperson's watching this should be looking out for? I would say the biggest sticking point for both sides right now mm-hmm. is CBT, as it's known, the luxury tax. What the thresholds are going to be, and not just the threshold, because in the union's opinion, they have to go up, and even the league has proposed an increase, very modest. But the penalties, the way the union sees it, the penalties are just as important, because if you're going to have steep penalties, it doesn't really matter what the threshold is. Teams aren't going to go over it. So... That issue is the one that they have yet to negotiate. You've seen movement on the minimum salary. You've seen movement on this pre-arbitration bonus pool, kind of a new twist for this sport when it ultimately gets adopted. You haven't seen movement on what is called the CBT. That is probably the single biggest issue at this point. And I would expect at the end that will get resolved too. It's just a question of timing when they all get together and figure this out. In my opinion, Tim, I'll say it one more time. Yep. This is not that complicated. There is no reason, not a single reason to miss a game. But I'm not one of the negotiators. I'm not involved directly in the negotiations. And they might have different opinions. One of the things that bugs one of the things that bugs me is when I hear people say, ah, it's billionaires bickering with millionaires because uh, I've seen, I've talked to, I know people that play in the minor leagues. I know players that stick around for a cup of coffee and never get to the million-dollar salary that people seem to, you know, just prescribe to anyone who plays in the major leagues. There's guys that will play three, four years that never get to that million-dollar mark. Um, so it kind of bugs me when I hear the millionaires bickering with billionaires because a lot of them never get there. And I know that minor league numbers have been a part of the conversation. Ken, in in your opinion, is that just part of the give and take of this negotiation, or are there real jobs on the line in minor league baseball? The owners made a proposal along those lines, but they've already pulled it. So that, 
not the issue here, not going to be the issue here. Remember, the minor leaguers, those who are not on 40-man rosters, they are not part of the union. So they're not represented by the union. They are not really a factor. And I don't see that as significant. Now, getting to your other point, billionaires versus millionaires, it seems to me, and I might be wrong about this, maybe I'm just going off social media, that fans have a greater understanding now of what the players' complaints are. Now, they might not agree with them, they might not like them, but they see the owners are not these faceless people just out of the goodness of their hearts paying players to pay baseball. They are guys who are quite wealthy. They have incredible resale values with their clubs. They have revenues coming from all sorts of areas, some around their ballparks that they've developed. And it is a situation where they're in the game a lot longer than the players are. Now, it's not to say they should give the players everything. We're not going there. But the balance has gotten out of whack. That's what has happened here over the last two CBAs. And no, the players can't have everything back at once. I think everyone understands that. But this game needs to restore its equilibrium a little bit. I don't know that it'll ever be completely fair. The owners have this incredible wealth to start with. They have the incredible wealth going forward, coming to them. But the players simply desire a greater share. And that is kind of what this is all about. Before I let you go, it's not all... uh negotiation talk here, although this might be a negotiation in and of itself, but I type uh, Freeman into Twitter and uh, speaking of social media, I see Freeman Yankees, I see Freeman Dodgers, Freddie Freeman has a little history up here north of the border, there have been some rumors about the Blue Jays being in on this mix, what are you hearing about Freddie Freeman and his future in Atlanta or elsewhere? The one thing I will say, Tim, is that the assumption all along from spring training last year and even before, was that Freddie Freeman would re-sign with the Braves. He has not re-signed with the Braves. In fact, their exclusive negotiating period passed, a month of free agency passed. He is still not an Atlanta Brave. So this idea that it's an automatic thing, he's going to be back in Atlanta, I don't buy it. In fact, that bridge may have burned down already. Mm. The time may So the question then becomes, okay, where does he go? Is Toronto seriously a possibility, as I'm sure a lot of fans would like to know? I expect the Blue Jays will be in on this once it is finally here again, where we can talk about free agents. But I also expect the Dodgers to be in. And the Dodgers, if they want, this is a guy who could replace Corey Seager as their principal left-handed hitter. They've got money to burn because they've lost Seager and they've lost Scherzer. I would think they'd be a real factor here. And who knows? Maybe the Jays are, too. He does have that Canadian connection. We know that. And I don't know how it would work out with Vlad, but if you have the universal DH, you have more options. It's a really interesting equation. And, again, the only thing I would say is that to assume that he's going back to the Braves at this point would simply not be correct. Hmm. That universal DH is a big part of all of this. Don't get me wrong. He might go back. But I don't know that it's a lock. I got you. Uh, Kenny, always great talking baseball with you, even if it is the nitty-gritty of negotiations. Appreciate you. Thank you. One of the best in the business. Senior writer of The Athletic, MLB on Fox. It is Ken Rosenthal. Speaking of the best in the business, Jesse Rubinoff standing right there. Actually sitting right there. Last call coming up next. A little follow-up to the Jawan Howard story. Next, why is it the Jawan Howard story? 
Why does no one say it's the guard story? I just made that mistake. I just shut up. <laughs>
suggestions, silly as they may be, that we should do away with the handshake line now. Oh, my God. You, have you heard that? Oh, my God, I have. And I do got to comment on that since that's not insulting to anybody. That, to me, would be the biggest farce, joke, ridiculous nature of anything I've ever heard of. Instead of confronting and demanding that it changes, let's eliminate it so that we don't have those problems. Let's, let's, let's try to do that. That's, that's perfect us right now. That's not perfect me. That's not happening here. So if some team doesn't want to shake hands, you're going to see 15 of my guys walk down and shake we're going to shake air, and I'm going to shake air, and then we're going to leave. So he likes the handshake line. Do you agree with him? I completely and utterly agree with him. The point of the handshake line is that you suppress any sort of anger that you have in the moment, and you man up, woman up, whatever you want to call it, and shake someone's hand after, yeah, after going to battle against them. It is the epitome of why we love the NHL playoffs and the handshake line. Things are going to happen like happened between Michigan and Wisconsin, and you continue doing it. You don't just run away from all of your problems, which is what we like to do in 2022. We just run away from the problem instead of saying, why don't we be grown-ass adults <laughs> yeah. and or even kids about it and say, some things are going to happen and that's okay as long as we do the right thing more often than not. It's a big voice in college basketball, so they'll probably listen to Tom Izzo. By the way, why isn't it like, so why is it the Jawan Howard incident? Like, why did Greg Gard get nothing? Like, I understand Howard was the one that extended the arm, open hand slap, D. David Schultz, Charlie Murphy, whatever you want to say. He, he gave him the slap. What did the five fingers say to the face? And I, but who started it? Like, guard started it. He was the one that put hands on Jawan Howard. Why did he get nothing? I think you answered your question. It's because Jawan Howard, Charlie Murphy'd him. But that, it's the escalation that, that derives the story. But we, like, again, common sense, we know none of that happens if guard doesn't put his hands on him. So why don't we, why don't we punish the thing that we know started what ended up being escalated. Like, that to me, whenever they get, oh, well, they'll always get the retaliator. Well, what, why not? Get the guy who starts it. Do you think guard should be suspended for, for I don't think he, he should be, I, I don't think, listen, I know you have to suspend Juwan Howard. Yeah. You give him five games and a $40,000 fine. I think you give guard a game. Or you fine him a little bit. You know the school's gonna pay the fine anyway. You can't let the guy who started it off the hook mm -hmm. and then go hard after the other guy. It looks stupid to me. By the way, have we heard anything about Oral Roberts in North Dakota State? No, yet? no, no, that's not. We're not going to. Nothing. It's the, that's the way, that is the epitome of what we're doing wrong in 2022. It's always the bigger thing that everyone focuses their attention in on. It's always the one that's gonna get the most notoriety, that gets the most ink spilt on it and other things that are exactly the same go unnoticed. And that hypocrisy, and hypocrisy, is the big, I was gonna say, is, is ruining society, but that's probably an overstatement. Uh, what about the assistant coach that caught a stray? Like, he wasn't the one no, he, Get out of here, he was doing the exact same thing. <laughs> he, uh, he tough guyed up. And then the other coach given the old NWO? Yeah. Yeah, he gave it the old suck it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean. 
pretty pretty good. Yeah. They'd be like wrestling. Is that back in real the day. though? Like is is he giving that so that the, the coaches in the coaching room can laugh after? <laughs> hey, he gave him the second or did he actually give him the second? That's a, that's a very good question because I don't think I've I've seen in the last decade someone give a real suck it. Like uh no. like, I actually mean this. Right. Like Can I tell you a quick story? Sure, go ahead. So I'm playing after I given up on my hockey, whatever the hell you call it, I was playing single A hockey and it was hitting and I thought I was a tough guy and I kept drilling guys like really hard that could hit pretty well and that was what I did. I'll bring in some tape so it doesn't seem like I'm just talking. Okay. And one day I just drill a guy and the referee gives me like the like five minutes for you hit him too hard, please don't do that again in the game, <laughs> which is a very valid penalty. Not boarding, but just right. hit him too hard. And we were playing like a, a team from an Italian neighborhood and the nonna came over all dressed in black and stood over the penalty box, which was kind of like a area over top that overhung, but not too far over the box. And I look up and all, all I hear, hey, hey! And I look up and an Italian nonna gave me the eye. <laughs> <laughs> and I started. That's real, though. That's I real. started dying. It was so like I was like 16 years old, and I was rolling in lap, and I was trying not to be disrespectful because I do have respect for my elders. But she just gave me the aye, and I thought, oh my god, like uh, I just I obviously drilled her. I'm grandson, surprised. I'm surprised that you were that you were laughing and not like scared because I would have been like, yikes. That the, that the nun was going to yeah, get Yeah, the nun was like mad. Yeah, she, she was mad. I had a Yaya across the street who used to chase me with a broomstick. I was not afraid of Yaya's and or nunnas. So can you um, bring in some tape? Because I know we've seen uh, football tape. Yeah. When you had the big shoulder pads going. I don't do know you have the can, hockey? I don't know if we can convert the VHS. Uh, yeah, does that... Can you not do that anymore? <laughs> there like used to be these tapes, kids, that were called VHS oh, tapes. Seriously, like, what do you do with and VHSs? Then, you can't play them at all anywhere? I, 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 have a, I have a VCR at home. Maybe I can tape it on my phone. Oh, yeah, you can do that. And then I did that with Look the football. That. That's quick where we thinking. got the football from. That's very quick thinking, I, I do have to say. Very no, I did it with the football one. That's how we got the football okay, one. Okay, so, so let's do it. I'll, I'll go through some tape, and I'll try and find a couple of hits from Uncle Timmy being stupid. I actually don't like it. Like, what did I do it for? Especially, like, A hockey. What, hitting? Like, no, just drilling guys for absolutely oh. no reason. Like, giving myself concussions. That's why I was a goalie. For no reason. That's why I was a goalie. I think they should el- Here's the Here's Soft. the bomb before we go with, like, 10 seconds left. Yeah. I think they should eliminate hitting from minor hockey Ooh. except for... Minor midget AAA. First things first, tomorrow. We'll discuss. (laughs) Talk to you tomorrow.